Chapter Seven of The Witch of Prague: A Fantastic Tale. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Witch of Prague: A Fantastic Tale by Francis Marion Crawford. Chapter Seven. The wanderer, when Keyork Arabian had left him, had intended to revisit Unorna without delay but he had not proceeded far in the direction of her house when he turned out of his way and entered a deserted street which led towards the river he walked slowly drawing his furs closely about him for it was very cold he found himself in one of those moments of life in which the presentiment of evil almost paralyzes the mind's power of making any decision in general a presentiment is but a result upon the consciousness of conscious or unconscious fear this fear is very often the natural consequence of the reaction which in melancholy natures comes almost inevitably after a sudden and unexpected satisfaction or after a period in which the hopes of the individual have been momentarily raised by some unforeseen circumstance it is by no means certain that hope is of itself a good thing the wise and mournful soul prefers the blessedness of that non-expectancy which shall not be disappointed to the exhilarating pleasures of an anticipation which may prove empty in this matter lies one of the great differences between the normal moral state of the heathen and that of the christian the greek hoped for all things in this world and for nothing in the next the christian on the contrary looks for a happiness to come hereafter while fundamentally denying the reality of any earthly joy whatsoever in the present man however is so constituted as to find it almost impossible to put faith in either bliss alone without helping his belief by borrowing some little refreshment from the hope of the other the wisest of the greeks believe the soul to be immortal the sternest of the christians cannot forget that once or twice in his life he had been contemptibly happy and condemns himself for secretly wishing that he might be as happy again before it's all over faith is the evidence of things unseen but hope is the unreasoning belief that unseen things may soon become evident the definition of faith puts earthly disappointment out of the question that of hope introduces into human affairs as a constant and imminent probability the development of psychologic search in our day has proved beyond a doubt that individuals of a certain disposition may be conscious of events that are actually occurring or which have recently occurred at a great distance but it has not shown satisfactorily that things yet to happen are foreshadowed by that restless condition of the sensibilities which we call presentiment we may and perhaps must admit that all is or has been produces a real perceptible impression upon all else that is but there is as yet no good reason for believing that an impression of what shall be can be conveyed by anticipation without reasoning to the mind of man but though the realization of a presentiment may be as doubtful as any event depending upon chance alone yet the immense influence which a mere presentiment may exercise is too well known to be denied the human intelligence has a strong tendency to believe in its own reasoning of which indeed the results are often 
more accurate and reliable than those reached by the physical perceptions alone the problems which can be correctly solved by inspection are few indeed compared with those which fall within the province of logic man trusts to his reason and then often confounds the impressions produced by his passions with the results gained by semi-conscious deduction his love his hate his anger creates fears and these supply him with presentiments which he is inclined to accept as so many well-reasoned grounds of action if he is often deceived he becomes aware of his mistake and going to the other extreme considers a presentiment as a sort of warning that the contrary of what he expects will take place if he chances to be often right he grows superstitious the lonely man who was pacing the icy pavement of the deserted street on that bitter winter's day felt the difficulty very keenly he would not yield and he could not advance his heart was filled with forebodings which his wisdom bade him treat with indifference while his passion gave them new weight and new horror with every minute that passed he had seen with his eyes and heard with his ears beatrice had been before him and her voice had reached him among the voices of thousands but now since the hours had passed he had not found her it was as though he had been near her in a dream and the strong certainty took hold of him that she was dead that he had looked upon her wraith in the shadowy church he was a strong man not accustomed to distrust his senses and his reason opposed itself instantly to the suggestion of the supernatural he had many times on entering a new city felt himself suddenly elated by the irresistible belief that his search was at an end and that within a few hours he must inevitably find her whom he had sought so long often as he passed through the gates of some vast burying place he had almost hesitated to walk through the silent ways feeling all at once convinced that upon the very first headstone he was about to see the name that was ever in his heart but the expectation of final defeat like the anticipation of final success had always been deceived neither living nor dead had he found her two common reasonable possibilities lay before him and two only he had either seen beatrice or he had not if she had really been in the Teenkirche, she was in the city and not far from him if she had not been there he had been deceived by an accidental but extraordinary light with the logical concatenation of cause and effect there was no room for any other supposition and it followed that his course was perfectly clear he must continue his search until he should find the person he had seen and the result would be conclusive for he would again see the same face and hear the same voice reason told him that he had in all likelihood been mistaken after all reason reminded him that the church had been dark the multitude of worshippers closely crowded together the voices that sang almost innumerable and wholly undistinguishable from each other reason showed him a throng of possibilities all pointing to an error of his perceptions and all in direct contradiction with the one fact which his loving instinct held for true the fear of evil the presentiment of death defied logic and put its own construction and interpretation upon the strange event he neither believed nor desired to believe 
in a supernatural visitation yet the inexplicable certainty of having seen a ghostly vision overwhelmed reason and all her arguments beatrice was dead her spirit had passed in that solemn hour when the wanderer had stood in the dusky church he had looked upon her shadowy wraith and had heard the echo of a voice from beyond the stars whose crystal tones already swelled the divine harmony of an angelic strain the impression was so strong at first as to be put but one step removed from conviction the shadow of a great morning fell upon him of grief too terrible for words too solemn for tears too strong to find any expression save in death itself he walked heavily bending his head his eyes half closed as though in bodily pain the icy pavement rang like iron under his tread the frozen air pierced through him as his sorrow pierced his heart the gloom of the fast-sinking winter's day deepened as the darkness in his own soul he who was always alone knew at last what loneliness could mean for she had lived she had been with him always a living breathing woman visible to his inner eyes speaking to his inward hearing waking his sleepless love he had sought her with a restless haste and untiring strength through the length and breadth of the whole world but yet she had never left him he had never been separated from her for one moment never in the years of his wandering had he entered the temple of his heart without finding her in its most holy place men told him that she was dead but he had looked within himself and seen that she was still alive the dread of reading her sacred name carved upon the stone that covered her resting place had chilled him and made his sight tremble but he had entered the shrine of his soul and had found her again untouched by death unchanged by years living loved and loving but now when he shut out the dismal street from view and went to the sanctuary and kneeled upon the threshold he saw but a dim vision as of something lying upon the altar in the dark something shrouded in white something shapely yet shapeless something that had been and was not any more he reached the end of the street but he felt a reluctance to leave it and turned back again walking still more slowly and heavily than before so far as any outward object or circumstance could be said to be in harmony with his mood the dismal lane the failing light the bitter air were at that moment sympathetic to him the tomb itself is not more sepulchral than certain streets and places in prague on a dark winter's afternoon in the certainty that the last and the greatest of misfortunes had befallen him the wanderer turned back into the gloomy byway as the pale wreathing ghosts fearful of the sharp daylight and the distant voices of men sink back at dawn into the graves out of which they have slowly risen to the outer air in the silence of the night death the arch-steward of eternity walks the bounds of man's entailed estate and the headstones of men's graves are landmarks in the great possession committed to his stewardship enclosing within their narrow ring the wretched plot of land which makes up all of life's inheritance from ever to always the generations of men do bondsmen's service in that single field plough it and sow it and harrow it and water it to lay the sickle to the ripe corn if so be that their serfdom falls in the years of plenty and the ear is full to eat the bread of tears if their season of servitude be required of them in a time of scarcity and famine 
bondsmen of death from birth they are sent forth out of the sublime silence of the pathless forest which hems in the open globe-land of the present and which is eternity past and to come bondsmen of death from youth to age they join in the labour of the field they plough they sow they reap perhaps tears they shed many and of laughter there is also a little amongst them bondsmen of death to the last they are taken in the end when they have served their tale of years many or few and they are led from furrow and grassland willing or unwilling mercifully or cruelly to the utmost boundary and they are thrust out quickly into the darkness whence they came for their place is already filled and the new husbandmen their children have in their turn come into the field to eat of the fruit they sowed to sow in turn a seed of which they themselves shall not see the harvest whose sheaves others shall bind whose ears others shall thresh and of whose corn others shall make bread after with our eyes we may yet see the graves of two hundred generations of men whose tombs serve but to mark that boundary more clearly whose fierce warfare when they fought against the master could not drive back that limit by a hand-breadth whose uncomplaining labour when they accepted their lot patiently earned them not one scant foot of soil wherewith to broaden their inheritance as a reward for their submission and of them all neither man nor woman was ever forgotten in the day of reckoning nor was one suffered to linger in the light death will bury a thousand generations more in graves as deep strengthening year by year the strong chain of his grim landmarks he will remember us every one when the time comes to some of us he will vouchsafe a peaceful end but some shall pass away in mortal agony and some shall be dragged unconscious to the other side but all must go some shall not see him till he is at hand and some shall dream of him in a year-long dreams of horror to be taken unawares at the last he will remember us every one and will come to us and the place of our rest shall be marked for centuries for years or for seconds for each a stone or a few green sods laid upon a mound beneath the sky or the ripple on a changing wave when the loaded sack has slipped from the smooth plank and the sound of a dull splash has died away in the wind there be strong men as well as weak who shudder and grow cold when they think of that yet undated day which must close with its black letter their calendar of joy and sorrow there are weaklings as well as giants who fear death for those they love but who fear not anything else at all the master treats courage and cowardice alike achilles and thersites must alike perish and none will be so bold as to say that he can tell the dust of the misshapen varlet from the ashes of the swift-footed destroyer whose hair was once so bright whose eyes were so fierce whose mighty heart was so slothless so wrathful so inexorable and so brave the wanderer was one of those who dread nothing save for the one dearly beloved object but who when that fear once aroused by a real or an imaginary danger can suffer in one short moment the agony which should be distributed through a whole lifetime the magnitude of his passion could lend to the least thought or presentiment connected with it the force of a fact and the overwhelming weight of a real calamity in order to feel any great or noble passion 
a man must have an imagination both great and sensitive in at least one direction the execution of a rare melody demands as a prime condition an instrument of wide compass and delicate construction and one of even more rich and varied capabilities is needed to render those grand harmonies which are woven in the modulation of sonorous chords a skilful hand may draw a scale from wooden blocks set upon ropes of straw but the great musician must hold the violin must feel the keys of the organ under his fingers and the responsive pedals at his feet before he can expect to interpret fittingly the immortal thought of the composer the strings must vibrate in perfect tune the priceless wood must be seasoned and penetrated with the melodies of years and scores of years the latent music must be already trembling to be free before the hand that draws the bow can command the ears and hearts of those who hear so too love the chief musician of this world must find an instrument worthy of his touch before he can show all his power and make heart and soul ring with the lofty strains of a sublime passion not everyone knows what love means few indeed know all that love can mean there is no more equality among men than there is likeness between them and no two are alike the many have little the few have much to the many is given the faint perception of higher things which is either the vestige or the promise of a nobler development past or yet to come as through a veil they see the line of beauty which is not theirs to trace as in a dream they hear the succession of sweet tones which they themselves never bring together though their half-grown instinct feels a vague satisfaction in the sequence as from another world they listen to the poet's song wondering admiring but powerless over the great instrument of human speech from whose fifteen thousand keys their touch can draw but the dull tuneless prose of daily question and answer as in a mirage of things unreal they see the great deeds that are done in their time for love or hate for race or country for ambition and for vengeance but though they see the result and know that the motive the inward meaning and spirit of it all escapes them it is theirs to be and existence is in itself their all to think to create to act to feel can only be for the few to one is given the transcendent genius that turns the very stones along life's road to precious gems of thought whose gift it is to find speech in dumb things and eloquence in the ideal half of the living world to whom sorrow is a melody and joy sweet music to whom the humblest effort of a humble life can furnish an immortal lyric and in whom one thought of the divine can inspire a sublime hymn another stoops and takes a handful of clay from the earth and with the pressure of his fingers moulds it into the reality of an unreal image seen in dreams or standing before the vast rough block of marble he sees within the mass the perfection of a faultless form he lays the chisel to the stone the mallet strikes the steel one by one the shapeless fragments fly from the shapely limbs the matchless curves are uncovered the breathing mouth smiles through the petrification of a thousand ages the shroud of stone falls from the godlike brow and the hermes of olympia stands forth 
in all his deathless beauty another is born to the heritage of this world's power foredestined to rule and fated to destroy the naked sword of destiny lies in his cradle the axe of a king-maker awaits the awakening of his strength the sceptre of supreme empire hangs within his reach unknown he dreams and broods over the future unheeded he begins to move among his fellows a smile half of encouragement half of indifference greets his first effort he advances a little further and thoughtful men look grave another step and suddenly all mankind cries out and faces him and would beat him back but it is too late one struggle more and the hush of a great and unknown fear falls on the wrangling nations they are silent and the world is his he is the man who already thinking when others have scarcely begun to feel who is creating before the thoughts of his rivals have reached any conclusion who acts suddenly terribly and irresistibly before their creations have received life and yet the greatest and the richest inheritance of all is not his for it has fallen to another to the man of heart and it is the inheritance of the kingdom of love in all ages the reason of the world has been at the mercy of brute force the reign of law has never had more than a passing reality and never can have more than that so long as man is human the individual intellect and the aggregate intelligence of nations and races have alike perished in the struggles of mankind to revive again indeed but as surely to be again put to the edge of the sword here and there great thoughts and great masterpieces have survived the martyrdom of a thinker the extinction of a school the death of a poet the wreck of a high civilization socrates is murdered with the creed of immortality on his very lips hardly had he spoken the wonderful words recorded in the phaedo when the fatal poison sent its deathly chill through his limbs the greeks are gone yet the hermes of olympia remains mutilated and maimed indeed but faultless still and still supreme the very name of homer is grown well nigh as mythic as his blindness there are those today who standing by the grave of william shakespeare say boldly that he was not the creator of the works that bear his name and still through the centuries achilles wanders lonely by the shore of the sounding sea paris loves and helen is false ajax raves and odysseus steers his sinking ship through the raging storm still hamlet the avenger swears hesitates kills at last and then himself is slain romeo sighs in the ivory moonlight and love-bound juliet hears a triumphant lark carolling his ringing hymn high in the cool morning air and says it is the nightingale the mortals all the marble god the greek the dane the lovesick boy the maiden foredoomed to death but how short is the roll-call of these deathless ones through what raging floods of destruction have they lived through what tempests have they been tossed upon what inhospitable shores have they been cast up by the changing tides of time since they were called to life by the great half nameless departed how often has their very existence been forgotten by all but a score of tens of millions has it been given to those embodied thoughts of transcendent genius 
to ride in the whirlwind of man's passions or to direct the stormy warfare of half frantic nations since they were born in all their bright perfection to live on in unchanging beauty violence has ruled the world many a time since then the sword has mown down its harvest of thinkers many a time has the iron harrow of war torn up and scarred the face of the earth athens still stands in broken loveliness and the tiber still rolls away its tawny waters heavily through rome but rome and athens are today but places of departed spirits they are no longer the seats of life their broken hearts are petrified all men may see the ports through which the blood flowed to the throbbing centre the traces of the mighty arteries through which it was driven to the ends of the earth but the blood is dried up the hearts are broken and though in their story ruins those dead world hearts would be grander and more enduring than any which in our time are whole of beating but yet neither their endurance nor their grandeur have saved them from man the destroyer nor was the beauty of their thoughts or the thoughtfully devised machinery of their civilization a shield against a few score thousand rough-hammered blades wielded by rough-hewn mortals who reck neither of intellect nor of civilization, and we yet of beauty, but being very human men, full of terribly strong and human passions. Look where you will throughout the length and breadth of all that was the world five thousand or five hundred years ago. Everywhere passion has swept through it before, and belief, reason, and we too, with our reason and our thoughts, shall be swept from existence and the memory of it is this the age of reason and is this the reign of law in the midst of this civilization of ours three millions of men lay down nightly by their arms men trained to handle rifle and sword taught to destroy and do nothing else and nearly as many more wait but a summons to leave their homes and join the ranks it is often said that we are on the eve of a universal war at the command of a few individuals at the touch of a few wires more than five millions of men in the very prime and glory of strength armed as men never were armed since time began will arise and kill civilization and thought as both the one and the other have been slain before by fewer hands and less deadly weapons is this the reason or is this the law passion rules the world and rules alone and passion is neither of the head nor of the hand but of the heart passion cares nothing for the mind love hate ambition anger avarice either make a slave of intelligence to serve their impulses or break down its important opposition with the unanswerable arguments of brute force and tear it to pieces with iron hands love is the first the greatest the gentlest the most cruel the most irresistible of passions in his least form he is mighty a little love has destroyed many a great friendship the merest outward semblance of love has made such havoc as no intellect could repair in reality has made heroes and martyrs traitors and murderers whose names will not be forgotten for glory or for shame helen is not the only woman whose smile has kindled the beacon of a ten years war nor antony the only man who has lost the world for a caress it may be that the helen who shall work our destination is even now twisting and braiding her golden hair 
it may be that the new antony who is to lose this same old world again already stands upon the steps of cleopatra's throne love's day is not over yet nor has man outgrown the love of a woman but the power to love greatly is a gift differing much in kind though little in degree from the inspiration of the poet the genius of the artist or the unerring instinct and eagle's glance of the conqueror for conqueror artist and poet are moved by passion and not by reason which is but their servant in so far as it can be commanded to move others and their deadliest enemy when it would move themselves that the passion and the instrument but meet being suited to each other and all else must go down before them few indeed are they to whom it is given that rich inheritance and they themselves alone know all their wealth and all their misery all the boundless possibilities of happiness that are theirs and all the dangers and terrors that beset their path he who has won woman in the face of daring rivals of enormous odds of gigantic obstacles knows what love means he who has lost her having loved her alone has measured with his own soul the bitterness of earthly sorrow the depth of total loneliness the breadth of the wildness of despair and he who has sorrowed long who has long been alone but who has watched the small twinkling ray still burning upon the distant border of his desert the faint glimmer of a single star that was still above the horizon of despair he can only tell what utter darkness can be upon the face of the earth when that last star has set for ever with it are gone suddenly the very quarters and cardinal points of life's chart there is no longer any right hand or any left or north or south any rising of the sun or any going down any forward or backward direction in his path any heaven above or any hell below the world has stood still and there is no life in the thick black stillness death himself is dead and one living man is forgotten behind to mourn him as a lost friend pray that some new destroyer more sure of hand than death himself may come striding through the awful silence to make an end at last to the tormented spirit to bear it swiftly to the place where the last star ceased to shine and to let it down into the restful depths of an unremembering eternity but into that place which is the soul of man no destroyer can penetrate that solitary life neither the sword nor pestilence nor age nor eternity can extinguish the immortal memory no night can obscure there was a beginning indeed but end there can be none such a man was the wanderer as he paced the deserted street in the cool gloomy cold of the late day between his sight and the star of his own hope an impenetrable shadow had arisen so that he saw it no more the memory of beatrice was more than ever distinct to his inner sense but the sudden presentiment of her death real in its working as any certainty had taken the reality of her from the ground on which he stood for that one link had still been between them somewhere near or far during all these years she too had trodden the earth with her light footsteps the same universal mother earth on which they both moved and lived the very world was hers since she was touching it and to touch it in his turn was to feel her presence for who could tell what hidden currents ran in the secret depths 
or what mysterious interchange of sympathy might not be maintained through them the air itself was hers since she was somewhere breathing it the stars for she looked on them the sun for it warmed her the cold of winter for it chilled her too the breezes of spring for they fanned her pale cheek and cooled her dark brow all had been hers and at the thought that she had passed away a cry of universal mourning broke out from the world she had left behind and darkness descended upon all things as a funeral pall cold and dim the sad ancient city had seen before but it was a thousandfold more melancholy now more black more saturated with the gloom of ages from time to time the wanderer raised his heavy lids scarcely seeing what was before him conscious of nothing but the horror which had so suddenly embraced his whole existence then all at once he was face to face with someone a woman stood still in the way a woman wrapped in rich furs her features covered by a dark veil which could not hide the unequal fire of the unlike eyes so keenly fixed on his have you found her asked the soft voice she is dead answered the wanderer growing very white End of chapter seven